Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. So glad you could join me for this week's episode. And it's episode number 26 of the podcast. Sorry I missed you last week. Things got a little bit crazy, as they often do, uh, now that I've got like seven different jobs. But either way, I'm having a blast. I'm so thankful for you guys to uh, to join me on this podcast. Today's going to be a Q&A episode. As you know, I would like to, to do those fairly often. And, and you guys seem to like them, so I'll keep doing them. Uh, we'll have... Probably a guest next week as well, uh, as we kind of do that little bit of a, a hybrid thing where it's sometimes just me, sometimes a guest, and yeah, we'll just keep rolling with it. So, uh, but yeah, I hope you guys had a chance to check out the last podcast I did now two weeks ago with University of Vermont head coach Todd Woodcroft. Uh, really excited to have had that conversation. I thought some great lessons in leadership and team building and player development and all sorts of different things. So, if you haven't checked it out yet, please do. Go ahead and go back and listen to that as well as any of the episodes previously on Talking Hockey Sense. I mean, I look back at the guest list that I've managed to, to have with this podcast, and I'm so excited by the number of people I brought in. Uh, you know, obviously, I had Bob McKenzie as the first guest and back in the day. We had Elliot Friedman, uh, my pal Emily Kaplan, who you're now seeing between the benches on ESPN's broadcast. One of my best friends in this business, Ryan S. Clark, and another one of them, Corey Pronman, um, and certainly Brad Schlossman in that mix as well. So I hope that you do get a chance to, to go back and listen to some of those podcasts. We've talked a lot about hockey, a lot of things, also about careers and, and different, uh, you know, paths that people take to, to dream jobs and, and opportunities that they get, and also a lot of kind of uh, process stuff as well, and, and we'll have more uh, hockey-specific guests on here, not always the media, um, but you know as we, we saw with Todd Woodcroft last week, and I hope to do more uh, podcasts like that because I, I learned a lot from that conversation. I hope that you will as well, and that reminds me, if you are new to this podcast, please go right ahead and uh, subscribe to it, you know, not that hard. You just kind of hit that little, if you're on an Apple thing, you think they just got that little plus sign now, you just hit that bad boy, and then you'll start getting these episodes rolling right in. And then if you could also leave me a, a kind review and uh, and, and a, maybe even a five-star rating, you know, I'm not trying to be too greedy on that, but it, it does help the podcast get out there. And certainly as the hockey season is underway, going to have a lot more to talk about. And it's just obviously, you know, as, as I get into this portion of, you know, I wanted to talk about a few different topics at the top of this before I get into the Q&A portion, uh, because that ends up going all over the place in a lot of different directions, which I always appreciate because it makes me think about all sorts of different things and not focus on, on any one thing. And hopefully it keeps you interested as well as we're not droning on and on about one thing. But obviously, you know, I, I think these last few weeks for hockey have been really difficult to get through. Um, and, and Certainly just in terms of this reckoning, essentially, of 
the the issues that existed, you know, of course, with the Chicago Blackhawks and the Kyle Beach situation, um, plenty of other things. We've now had a, another um, investigation launched I- inside an NHL organization. As uh, if you haven't seen the news yet, um, but you probably have by the time you're listening to this. Bob Murray is currently on administrative leave. The general manager of the Mighty Ducks, or sorry, the, the Anaheim Ducks, formerly the Mighty Ducks, um, has, is is out of. Uh, is out of the mix for now as an independent investigation continues underway. Uh, my colleague at dailyfaceoff.com, my boss, uh, Frank Cervelli, uh, is, has some great original reporting on dailyfaceoff.com about, um, you know, kind of what this stems from. It sounds like, uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of allegations of an abusive uh, and, and, and toxic work culture uh, created by Murray. Um, and there's uh, more detail on that in Frank's piece on dailyfaceoff.com. So uh, be sure to read that. But I, I mean, I, I think that one of the things that we're coming to grips with here um, in hockey is, you know, the people that have been in positions of leadership need to be held accountable and they haven't been for a long time. And now, you know, these opportunities for, for, for NHL organizations to really dive into their corporate culture, dive into their front office, dive into the way that they do business. Um, is a good thing and then that's you know hopefully something that comes out of this where more teams are taking that internal look at kind of where things are um, you know and and it's it's not an easy time to be doing all of this you know we talk about the 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 operational issues that have existed this season for teams there are a lot of teams dealing with a, a high level of, of COVID cases and breakthrough cases and we know that all players are vaccinated except for one and so with that in mind, there's a, obviously a lot of concern uh, in terms of how to proceed. But I think that that can't you know, distract us from the, what needs to be done. And I think that you're seeing right now that the, these, these situations that are popping up are starting to get dealt with in a much more significant and serious way. And they're not being swept aside. I think one of the things that, that was a, a pretty sizable takeaway from, from the Chicago Blackhawks thing that I think is the reason that so many of us now are are going to continue to cast a more cynical and and critical eye towards leadership is there were so many times that we heard that 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 lawsuit was without merit that that you know that this was was a, a meritless effort by a former player that we now know is Kyle Beach and as the Jenner and Block investigation showed it was with lots of merit and and now a lot of people have paid the price for not giving that the proper weight so it's good to see that there is now a chance for reckoning in hockey, in positions of leadership. I think there is still a lot of frustration with the league office, with Gary Bettman, uh, with league ownership as well, and and obviously with the NHLPA as they are now under um, their own independent review of how things were handled when Kyle Beach went to the NHLPA for assistance in, in the matter. And, and also there's a lot of debate now in terms of not really debate, but, you know, part of the conversation has shifted to um, the young, uh, you know, the former high school player that was, um, was assaulted by Brad Aldrich. And that was something that Aldrich got convicted for sentenced to nine months in jail. He's now a registered sex offender. And those are, you know, things that we're still dealing with and that, that, nobody's dealing with more than the victims that, that that happened to. And if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, uh, TSN's Rick Westhead, who has been a dogged reporter on this the entire step of the way and has not let anything go, um, did have an interview with this uh, former high school hockey player's mother. And that is on tsn.ca. And, and it's one of those things where you, sh- I believe it's also on YouTube. You, you just have to watch it and it turns your stomach and, and knowing the, physical and mental harm that comes from these types of situations that victims can suffer from and to hear you know the different things that you know that this player was was starting to watch hockey again and you know it hadn't hadn't loved hockey and you know to have somebody's passion taken away because of somebody's act um is really heartbreaking because that changes your the whole trajectory of your life and the things that you find enjoyment in that you can't anymore because it's tied to a, a significant trauma in your life. Um, it's just heartbreaking to hear, you know, we're, we, we, we have to continue to strive to, to do better. And I think that as we learn more about these situations, as we 
we learn the human cost of it. Um, there's only so much that you you can't you you just can't ignore it. You can't you can't let it be swept aside. And you know, I think one thing that we'll continue to do is we'll continue to talk about hockey on this podcast. We'll continue to talk about the things that are going on, uh, the things that you want to know about. But I think if we don't pause to stop and talk about these things at the same time, we risk letting that get swept under the rug. And really, this isn't a time for that. This is a time for us to step up and make sure that you know people are being held accountable that's on the media that's on the fans that's on any you know sponsors anybody that that has an an interest in this game and wants to see it be the best it can be we need to make sure that we're holding people accountable and and that will continue i did also want to touch on the the you know something that happened um in the week that i didn't record in pennsylvania in a high school hockey game it was a boys high school hockey game but the goaltender for one of the teams uh was female um, and this young lady was uh, was taunted by the opposing fan base. And I'm not going to repeat what was said here, but suffice it to say, um, completely unacceptable. No place for it anywhere. Um, you know, student sections can be rowdy and they can get go over the line. But this was so far over the line. Um, and one thing that I did see that was, a, a, you know, an unfortunate, obviously we didn't want that incident to happen, but something that did come out of it, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins have really stepped up and, and have, have, have supported this um, young hockey player. Um, you know, there was a, a packed crowd at the Penguins practice facility for that girl's next game. And um, I think that shows the support that can exist in this sport, um, that not everybody is, you know, the worst of us. There's still a lot of good. Um, and, and just because there is good, you can't just sweep aside the bad. Um, and you have to really address it head on and you have to say, you know, very significantly that, you know, we have a lot of issues in our society, but these are things, you know, we're not talking about the rest of society. We're just trying to make hockey the best place that it can be. Um, and, and so that has to continue to happen as well. Um, and, and, you know, the hockey community is, is, is a big place. And I think when you see things like with the Blackhawks situation, with what happened to this young lady in the Pittsburgh area, um, what's currently ongoing with, with Bob Murray, um, you know, that is, is something that, you know, it, it kind of shakes your faith a little bit, obviously in, in people, it shakes your faith in leadership and, and things like that. But, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, the good in the hockey community as well. And I, I want to, I want to bring that up without distracting from, you know, as I just said, the, the need for accountability and the need to keep these, these thoughts in the forefront. But I do think that it's important to remember that there are so many good people here. And, and, you know, I talked a bit about it with that, with Todd Woodcroft and, you know, a coach putting players first and working for the players. And um, uh, last Saturday was, was try hockey free day and try hockey free day has been ongoing, I think since like 2011 or so, so we're about 10 years in, and every single year, hundreds and hundreds of kids try hockey for the first time. Um, and it's one of the great moments in in the sport. And I know in our local community, there was, a, I think, a projected 200 kids that were going to come out. And then we're talking about Eastern Iowa here, um, that, you know, kids coming out to try hockey for the first time. And, and that that that's the lifeblood. And, and the sport is in need of a big rebound. Um, so that's, what I think, another thing that makes some of these 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 detrimental stories so so troubling is you know, the, the fact that it, it overshadows the good in the game and the, and, and the things that we do like and the things that we can enjoy. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I, I, just seeing that, it always brings me joy because I, you know, once you get a kid on the ice and once you get them, once things start clicking for them, it's really hard for them to, to, to walk away from it. You know, they get hooked and, you know, we have all these different programs in place to make sure that once they are hooked, you get them in there. And, um, but, Every time I get out on the ice with the kids that I work with, with the, the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders um, youth hockey program, uh, you know, I, my faith is just renewed in the game. It's renewed in the players that are that are out there, the kids that are showing, you know, good sportsmanship, the kids that are trying new things, um, that that are that are working every day to get better. And you know, those when I see that as the future of the game, I can only hope that the job that I'm doing and the job that all of the other coaches are doing, and, and I just know based on the philosophies of the club. Um, that they are striving for is, is, you know, creating an environment where everybody can play, where everybody has a spot, where, where, where there is an opportunity and, and to see kids that just when that all clicks for them, um, you know, it can be life changing. You know, I know it was for me as a kid, I came, you know, I started playing hockey later 
as a kid. Like, you know, I started when I was about nine playing organized hockey. Um, and that's kind of late, you know, and you're kind of behind, but you know, there's always people there that will support you and whether it's your parents, whether it's your coaches, whether it's teammates and the, you know, the relationships that you build. And, you know, I just hate for kids to miss out on that because of, you know, some of the perceptions that have been created by some of these controversies and also these very real problems in the game that if we don't address properly, we really do risk the, the game going in a completely different direction. Um, but you know, I've been out on the ice a lot. And the other thing I wanted to bring up too, and this is completely selfish on my part and self-indulgent, but I just wanted to bring it up briefly. You know, I'm, I'm about a year out now. It's actually a little over a year uh, and a couple of days since I found out that I was going to be losing my job at ESPN. And what were the ways that I was picked up? And, and, and who were the people that picked me up? Obviously my family, obviously friends, but so many in the hockey community. And it's also been a lot of you. And so this is a, this is my way of also saying thank you to all of you that have, have lifted me up by supporting the things that I've been doing, whether it's hockey sense, or if it's, you know, moving to daily face off now, um, you know, supporting this podcast, um, you know, just providing words of encouragement, you know, that that's a, that's a great sign of, of what the hockey community is all about. I was so uplifted, you know, the, it, it's, it's so weird in the media business since you're, you know, you're like, you're, you're kind of public, so you're 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 you know when you lose your job, you know you make it public, and um, just so readers know kind of where you're going and, and what's happening. And you know, the second that happens, you get this flood of very positive um, and very encouraging words um and it's important in those moments because you're so down and to see that it really does lift you up um but then you know eventually those subside and you kind of wonder what's next but i think for me what i've discovered is that every time i go to an arena every time i go anywhere if it's i'm talking to scouts or, or executives or um i'm talking to a coach or 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 whatever or just fellow members in the media they're always asking you know how how, how are things going? How is your new thing going? Are you enjoying it? You know, and, and people take a, a, an interest in you. And because we all share the same passion, we want to see each other exceed. We want to succeed. We want to see each other um, do well. And I, I think that's such a great thing about the sport. And that's, I'm not saying it's exclusive to hockey because it certainly isn't. There's, you know, there's a lot of great human beings out there. We need to be reminded of that from time to time. But you know, I'm just so inspired by the by the uplifting nature of so many people in the community that we consider ourselves a part of here in hockey, and I, I think that we'll continue to be. And that's also I'm also inspired by the people that do the work for the people that aren't being heard, for the people that aren't being supported enough, and to make sure that we are now providing that support. Um, you know, and 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 I think that that's that's a good sign too uh, for the future of the game. And um, I just wanted to once again say thank you to everybody. For, for the for what you've done in, in helping turn you know the worst day of my professional life into something completely different that I didn't anticipate and and have really enjoyed and and um, you know this is the sport that I'm most passionate about but I'm also passionate about connecting with people like you that are listening to this right now and all the great people in hockey but um, yeah so that's uh, that's it before I you know, get away from the self-indulgence and before I get to our big topic of the day which is going to center around um, the recent send downs and loans of, of top end prospects and and the idea of um, expectations coming into a rookie season and things like that I do want to remind you that if you want to support this podcast you can head over to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters um, and that's hockeysense.substack.com you can uh, you know, provide a monetary subscription that does help support this podcast because that's all part of it. Um, but also it gets you a lot of information, a lot of college hockey news. I'm going to be having a lot more stuff coming soon. Certainly have a lot uh, in the buildup to the World Junior Championship, which I will be at. I booked my flight. I am actually going to be in Red Deer for a good chunk of it and then also Edmonton for the second half of the tournament. Um, but yeah, so if you want to do that, also you know, as I mentioned earlier, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast as well. It helps a great deal. All right. So we're going to move into the topic that I want to discuss. And, you know, last week I wrote a, a piece about Cole Caulfield, who, of course, was sent down by the Montreal Canadiens after 10 games in the NHL 
Um, and he's now with the Laval Rocket in the AHL. He had one assist in his first two games in his first weekend in the AHL. And also, notably, San Jose opted to send William Eklund back to Sweden uh, as opposed to allow him to continue with the Sharks despite playing very well. And, you know, I think he got a lot of great praise from his Sharks teammates that said, hey, this guy belongs. He, he can be here. Uh, but the Sharks and, and, and Eklund decided, you know, essentially that he would be sent back to Sweden. And, you know, there's always going to be disagreements about whether or not these are the right moves. And I think, you know, particularly in Caulfield's case, um, you know, just so much has gone wrong this season for Montreal. And he was supposed to be kind of one of the rays of sunshine in what was a troubling season. Um but that hasn't really happened. So once again, I, I wrote it dailyfaceoff.com. I did a, you know, I took seven of his NHL games this year, watched every shift that he played in, just to see if there was anything there in terms of, you know, why is he why is he not scoring? Um, and I think the the larger question is why aren't the Canadians as a whole scoring? Because before he was sent back, um, they really just could not score. One of the lowest scoring teams in the entire NHL, one of the worst power plays in the NHL. Um, and you know, it wasn't for lack of effort on the Canadians part. I think that that's one of the things that I uncovered, you know, certainly as, as I looked more in depth at Caulfield's games, you know, he's getting the ice time. He was getting the, 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 the right line mates, the right people to play with, you know, starting out with Nick Suzuki and Tyler Toffoli. And that line was so good during, uh, during the playoffs and, and, and it just hasn't been there. And so, it's been a tough go for Cole Caulfield, who was the betting favorite to be the Calder Trophy winner. And, and really, you know, it's compounded when you see Detroit with, with Lucas Raymond and, and Moritz Sider looking like, hey, we got a couple of bona fide Calder candidates here. And the guy who's already played significant NHL games in the hardest portion of the season and had success as one of the top scorers for Montreal can't seem to score now. And I really, this is probably the longest goal scoring drought of Cole Caulfield's entire life. I mean, the kid has scored at every single level he's been at. I'm not worried that he's going to be, um, you know, lost or that this is uh, uh, anything more than a minor setback. Really, I think that we have to have better managed expectations for some of these players. And, you know, you look at the way that, you know, the, Jack Hughes came into the NHL, Alexi Lafreniere came into the NHL, and these guys are coming in. And they're not necessarily dominating right away. And it's like, okay, yeah, they're teenagers. And it is a hard league to play in for teenagers. Everything is moving faster. And then you throw in the fact that this just hasn't been a normal season. Um, you know, and you can throw out all the different excuses. What what matters, though, is that the player gets it right and that the team gets it right. And so as disappointing as it can be to send down an elite prospect to the AHL or loan them out to a European league or send them back to junior after a, a period of time, there's good business decisions in there. Obviously there's salary cap implications. You know, you get the chance to, to toll the contract another year and, and that, that is a, a valuable thing. Um, you know, and that's like in, in Eklund's case where you say, you know, what can we do? Um, teams often now are, are not really concerned about that nine game stint where they can, you know, push the contract they're more concerned about you know whether or not team that player is accruing time towards unrestricted free agency because uh, teams need to maximize the amount of time that they have with these players um, so there's business elements to it but there really is I think most teams by and large are going to make their decisions based specifically on development and I think that that was specifically what San Jose was doing with William Eklund. I mean, look, they've played much better than I think anybody anticipated that they would. They've gotten the goaltending in a way that I didn't think many people thought they would. Um, and Eklund has done well. He's he's performed. He's He's been able to score. He's been able to to make some plays. But by sending him back to Jew Garden, where he played last year and was a top-line player, you're getting him the minutes that he needs in a, an environment that he's comfortable in to continue to build confidence, build strength, and he'll also have the opportunity to play at the World Junior Championship. He'll have an opportunity to um, potentially represent Sweden at, at the World Championship as well, if that if that ends up being something that he wants to do. Um, and there's really nothing saying that the Sharks can't bring him back later in the year. Uh, but you have to take the long-term vision. You have to look at what is ultimately the right decision for this player, not for this season, but for next season. These short-term gains that you can make with prospects are not 
valuable enough to kind of derail the plan. Um, I was always surprised that Eklund made the team out of camp, even though I knew that he was incredibly skilled and has high-end hockey sense, elite vision. I mean, makes plays all over the place. And he had a pretty highly productive season in the SHL last year. But he's not a guy that mastered the league. He didn't necessarily dominate. And now maybe he can, especially with this extra NHL time that he has. The one thing that I thought about with Eklund that that I'd be at least a little bit concerned about in the longer term is his adjustment to the North American style game and the ice. You know, I thought that was something that was so evident early in um, the rookie faceoff in Arizona, where he, you know, he was playing for San Jose, and it's just like you know the timing isn't quite there. He doesn't have as much room to cut around to the outside. He's having a little bit more trouble getting to the inside. Um, which regardless of the ice surface size is where you win the game. And so, uh, but in the NHL, as he was playing with better players, you start seeing it's all starting to click for him. So the fact that timing and spacing and all those things are things that he needs to get better at, you know, is going back to Sweden necessarily the best option? Maybe not, but I think that the benefits far outweigh the cons in this situation. There, I, there is not a player that I've found, um, maybe just a couple here and there, uh, that stayed at the level they were at for too long. Because yes, there is the opportunity to get stale. There's the opportunity to, to, to develop bad habits and to um, where things you know get kind of boring. And I think players should always be looking to challenge themselves. But at the same time, I, you know, he's playing in one of the top professional leagues in the world with one of the best clubs in terms of developing talent. And he's going to have an opportunity to play at the World Junior Championship. And that brings me back to Cole Caulfield. Because I think a lot of the issues that that Caulfield had has boiled down to um, an inability to figure out the timing of the NHL right now. And I think that the teams that he's playing are better. I think that, you know, how much the Habs have struggled this season is correlated somewhat to the fact that they're not just playing all of the Canadian teams all the time. So that's another thing to keep in mind and to consider is that, hey, you know what, they actually have a, a tougher strength of schedule now and there's more travel and there's all these different things that come into it. Things that Caulfield didn't have to deal with last year when he was actually having a very strong start to his NHL career. So um, I think that the timing needs to get better. But before they can get to that point, they need to get his confidence back. Goal scorers thrive on confidence. And, you know, as I watch Caulfield, you can see it starting to drift away. You could see that, you know, that spark was just going away a little bit. I've, I've never covered a player that has had more fun on the ice than Cole Caulfield. You can't wipe the smile off his face. And I think things are getting a little bit tougher now. And it's getting a little bit realer now. And now he's going through adversity that he hasn't really faced as much. I will say his first year at the University of Wisconsin, he was not as dominant as I thought. But he did score pretty much right away. I remember I, I just I remember saying this. I was in. I went to the first game that Wisconsin played that year. Caulfield had two goals. I asked, you know, Brian Posick, the uh, the the radio play by play, radio and TV play by play guy for for Wisconsin. You know, I was like, oh man, what's what's the rookie record here? And Mark Johnson had, I think it was thirty six goals. And I was like, oh, that thing's going down, man. That thing's going down. Well, it didn't. Caulfield didn't even come close to getting to there because every time you move up a level, it gets a little bit harder. Um, and and for Caulfield, that has been the case again in the NHL. Even though we saw him last year, you have to consider he came into that season hitting the ground running. He just won the Hobie Baker. He was scoring almost a goal per game in his, his sophomore season with Wisconsin. Um, so he was in midseason form when he joined the the Canadiens. And and now, you know, he's had to reset. And then you look at the Canadiens roster and Jay Weber wasn't playing. Carey Price wasn't playing. You know, you're missing a, a bunch of guys either from injury or, you know, losing Kyle Kenyemi, uh, losing Phil Deneau. You know, that they... they they're, they're a different team, and they have not figured out what their identity is yet. So that all plays into it as well. But this is all of that has been a, an extremely long way of saying when your favorite team decides to send a player down to the minors, when they decide to send them back to Europe, when they decide to send them back to junior, it is not the end of the world. It is also something that I think if you are a fan, you have to applaud the pragmatism and the... the uh, you know, just the patience of a team. We talk about that all the time. And these, all of these rebuilds, trust the process, be patient. All those things kind of come into play. And you think of all those different 
you know, cliches. But the thing about them is, is there's, there's a lot of truth to it. And so Montreal made a pretty brave decision and in a relative sense, I mean, obviously in a hockey sense by saying Cole Caulfield, our top guy, the guy that we thought was going to win the Calder trophy needs to go back to the AHL and get things right. That's not easy to do. Some teams have forced those players into tough situations. I mean, I think, but you know, I've looked back at Jack Hughes's first season. I look back at Quinn Hughes's first season, um, you know, uh, Lafreniere, you know, where it wasn't even really an option, you, you know, for, for the players where it is an option to send them to the AHL, send them to the AHL. I just watched Marco Rossi playing for the Iowa Wild. He started the season in the AHL. The Wild have had all these COVID issues. They still haven't called him up. They're being patient because they know he is such a key piece for their future, and they can't afford to get it wrong. And the other thing that they're doing is while he's in the AHL, first power play unit, major minutes with veteran players, um, he, you know, in the game that I saw, he was able to score. He had a, an assist. He was a factor in overtime, you know, so he's getting all of these opportunities that simply would not be available to him. If he were on the Minnesota wild right now, Caulfield was getting all those opportunities with Montreal, but it wasn't working. And they, they, they put him in a position to succeed. And they said, you know what, this isn't working. You've got to go reset. So now he's resetting. It's up to Caulfield now to earn his way back onto the NHL roster. And you don't want to just hand players things. You really don't. It does not do them much good in the long run if you're simply going to hand them a spot because of expectations. And then you look at what San Jose has done. is the, And they gave Eklund a taste. They gave him an opportunity. And it now, now Eklund goes back to Sweden with a much better idea in his mind of what he needs to work on to get better, how he can do that there. And he's going to have a, a team that is invested in his development. Dugarden has done a phenomenal job over the years of developing NHL caliber players. And, and the Swedish system, I can't sing its praises enough that they, they are player focused and they do a lot for development i think that eckland is in a very good place and hopefully we'll get to see him at the beginning of next year because a lot of what we saw at the nhl he was just starting to get it figured out it doesn't mean that he's ready to keep it figured out so we will see where that goes all right we're about a half an hour into the podcast i've droned on about multiple topics for a while but now I want to turn it over to the listeners, and I thank you all for sending in questions. Got a lot of good ones from you. Um, we are going to cover all sorts of different things, uh, from uh, just you know, just some player prospect questions that you guys have had. There's even some just uh, about NHL. There's a, a women's hockey question that I really want to talk about because there's there's a lot going on in women's hockey right now that you should be aware of and care about because. Um, really, the future of women's college hockey uh, has an opportunity right now at this moment to 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 be even better. But we got a lot of different things. I, you know, just to mention some of the players that we're going to be talking about today: Nolan Patrick, Sebastian Casa, Jesper Wallstedt. Um, you know, looking at uh, Oscar Olasson, um, the Red Wings prospects. So we're going to talk about all of those things here in the Q and A, and I guess. Maybe we should get started with that. All right. Well, there's only one way to start it off, and that is with Thomas Erickson. Thomas, thanks for the question. This one is about goalies, and it's, would love your opinion on Kosa and Wallstedt, the two first-round goalies from last year's draft, and how you look at them playing in different leagues. Well, both Kosa and and Wallstead have had pretty solid starts to the season so far this year. Um, obviously, both guys picked very highly in the draft. And, you know, there was a lot of debate about which one should be first. And for a long time, Wallstead was the guy that was the odds-on favorite. Six foot three, 214-pound goalie playing for Lulia in the Swedish Hockey League. He's getting a lot of games right now, and he's playing very well. Um, drafted by the Minnesota Wild at 20th overall. Then, of course, Sebastian Kosa, who was the top goalie in the WHL last season and also now one of the top goalies in the WHL this season, uh, was sent back by the Detroit Red Wings after they picked him 15th overall. 
And so far, he has a 934 save percentage through 12 games. Both guys have played 12 games. Obviously, there's a vast difference in the two sides um, and, and in the in the two leagues. And so Kosa is playing professional hockey in Sweden. Uh, or sorry, Wallstead is playing professional hockey in Sweden. Kosa playing junior hockey in the WHL. And so you do have to look at both of those with varying degrees of differences. And I think, you know, particularly for Kosa, um, WHL goalies uh, over the last few years, the top ones do tend to, you know, put together pretty nice numbers in the league. Um, you know, we've seen obviously Dustin Wolf for the Everett Silvertips, uh, Calgary Flames prospect had a really good year. Now his replacement, Braden Holt, having great numbers, you know, Carter Hart, you, know, you, you look at the history of WHL goalies and especially recent history of WHL goalies. Um, you know, it's, it's guys like Carter Hart. It's guys like Carey Price. If you go further back, um, but Kosa is a really interesting case. So now the, the, the thing about both these goalies, um, as I've continued to watch them, now I haven't tracked them as closely this season, um, as I did during their draft year, but, you know, I, I, I just wanted to go back at, at some of, you know, when I started to realize, you know, that Kosa wasn't just a distant number two to, to wall set. And that was through, you know, using Instat, which, uh, you know, if you haven't familiarized yourself in stat, it, it's, it's a great product. <laughs> um, you know, it allows me to watch basically all the shots that Kosa face, or at least all the ones that they have on file. And so you're, you know, you're just going through and you're watching shot after shot after shot. It's a, and, and just watching, the size that Kosa has, the speed that he plays with, and you could just understand why there was such a uh, an excitement about his upside. He finished last season with a 9.41 save percentage, 17-1-1 record in 19 starts, and Edmonton was a top team in a weak division. Um, so you take those numbers with a slight grain of salt, but you know you still you have to be impressed by it. Now he's pretty much repeating it. It's not quite. As, as uh, dominant as he was last season, but he's probably going to be Canada's goaltender or at least one of the very likely goaltenders for the World Junior Team. And the same can be said for Wallstedt, although for Sweden. So Wallstedt um, playing professionally with Lulia. Last year, he appeared in 22 games. He started splitting time, wasn't getting playing time as consistently. This year, he's off to a really strong start. 12 starts, 925 save percentage, 8-4 record. He also has two shutouts so far for Lulia. And, you know, he's going to more than likely have the net for for Sweden at the World Juniors. And they're going to be, uh, you know, a team that I think has a chance, as we mentioned a little bit ago, William Eklund going back. Um, you know, and they've got Simon Edvinson, who uh, is having a tremendous year right now as well, drafted by the Red Wings. So, um, you know, I, I think as just to get back to the question that Thomas had about these two goalies is, you know, you, you watch, you try to watch the skill set and, you know, Kosa is, is so big, athletic, he's quick. He's, he's, he's one of the faster big goalies I've seen. Whereas Wallstead is much more deliberate. He still has that power and that, 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 that athleticism. Um, but you know, he's a little bit more on the technically sound side. You know, he, he has very similar body language to like a Spencer Knight, um, in terms of, you know, his technique and, and everything like that. So, Seeing what he's uh, he's been able to do at the pro level is, is outstanding. So I don't think that there's a ton of separation between these two guys. They were very close on my draft board. I haven't seen anything to suggest that they need to be, um, you know, moved significantly one way or the other. I think both will have some time to get uh, some good development under their belt. I think as we saw with Carter Hart, um, you know, was when he got into the NHL, you know, he was he was great off the bat, but. You know, he, he had to go through a rough period, and he's starting to come back. He's starting to have a much better, um, you know, more consistent go here. So we'll see kind of how Detroit ends up playing with Kosa um, and then how Minnesota handles Wallstead. Neither has an immediate need uh, based on what they have there, so it's kind of taken care of. And and this brings me to my next question that comes from at MVP96. Do you think with the prospect pool the Wings have, the rebuild is over? It's a good question. I mean, what they do have, and, and it's important to note, what they do have is, you know, they have a quality goaltending prospect in Kosa, who we were just talking about. 
that's a key piece that you need to find often you know you, you hope you can find it through the draft it's not easy to do but you got that and then you look at you've got cornerstone defensemen you've got more Sider in the NHL right now playing at an extremely high level you've got a cornerstone winger in Lucas Raymond and and, and that's a pretty remarkable thing to have they also have Simon Edmondson, who was picked last year in the top five and or top six. And Edmondson ends up, he's, he's having a phenomenal year in the SHL. He's going to be a big time minutes eater uh, for that team. They're the, the Swedish team at the World Juniors. Um, you know, he's got great size. And then you look at some of the other pieces that Detroit has in their system. Um, you know, Jonathan Bergren is, is here now. Um, yeah, you know Joe Valeno, who who got his call up recently. Um, there there are a lot of different names that I could just kind of rattle off here um, in terms of players that are that are playing exceptionally well. But to answer the question about whether or not the rebuild is over, um, it's hard to say that really. I mean, I think if it is entering a different phase, it's not completely outside of the prospect collection phase. But this is a team that's moving forward. And so, you know, I think that calling the rebuild over is a bit premature. But, you know, you think about what's already on the NHL roster. Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, um, you know, having really strong seasons. Raymond and and Sider doing great. You got Nedeljkovic as a potential starting goaltender. Um, you know, for, is he going to be the long-term guy? Is it going to be Sebastian Cosa? You know, they have some pieces in their system and then they've got a lot of really interesting young defense prospects, um, led by Edvinson and Sider, but then there's William Wallinder. There is, um, uh, Jared McIsaac. Um, you know, they, they have, uh, Albert Johansson, who has been just putting up spectacular numbers in Sweden over the last couple of years. Um, so there are pieces in place there, but the question is, is, you know, where, where are some of the other pieces going to come from? You know, Philip Zidina hasn't quite lived up to expectations over the, the life of his entire contract and, and, and kind of where we're at right now with him. Um, you know, I'm very intrigued by the additions that they made from outside of their system. Guys like Nemesnikov, um, Pia Suter, who, uh, you know, I thought the, I, I was surprised that Chicago let him go. Based on what he did, Jakub Vrana, who's injured now, but certainly um, having been a piece of that of the Anthony Mantha trade, very important there. Um, but I'd say that where the where the Red Wings are now is that they are in the competitive portion of the rebuild, where it's like you know we have to be winning games, we have to start trying to to turn the culture around. We can't allow this culture of you know losing and and the missing the playoffs being acceptable. Um, you know, kind of take hold because that can really destroy a franchise. And I don't think that Steve Eiserman had ever had any plans uh, to do such a thing. But um, there, you know, I still think there are several pieces away from having a team where you're going to say, oh, this team is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the uh, Atlantic division. And some of that might just come with time with the prospects that you have. But um, I think for Steve Eiserman, you know, there's not a lot to shed from the roster right now. It's just a matter of continuing to collect prospects and then also examining what's available out there on the free agent market. That's a place where you know you're going to have to overpay, but it's a little easier to overpay when you have a lot of guys on low dollar entry level type contracts that can provide some uh, some assistance there on the on the lineup. But love the question because I think it's if you're a Red Wings fan, yeah. You know, start feeling optimism. Start feeling better about where your team's at. Um, start feeling, you know, good about what what they can do as a as a group, uh, because there there are some really really intriguing pieces there, and I'm very excited to watch their growth. All right, this next one comes from CFM. Are there any college hockey players that have a chance to, to make any of the Olympic teams in Europe? Um, though I can tell you for sure, there's no chance that they're going to make U.S. and Canada. As far as Europe goes, there there are a lot more import players in college hockey right now. I have not seen a single one that I would say, okay, well that the player is absolutely has to be on the Olympic roster. I, I'm sure there are a couple that are that are on the radar for to to a certain extent. Um, but it's you know with the NHL players back, it's going to be a lot harder for those guys to make it. But 
Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility to see, you know, a young guy get it, get an opportunity. You know, one of the teams that I'm, I'm really interested to see in, 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 um, in the Olympics is Germany. And, you know, we, we've talked about Mort Sider, but then you think about some of the other young guys that they've had in there, obviously Leon Dreisaitl having an opportunity to play in the Olympics and Germany is in the same division as the U S and Canada. Um, but you know, that's a team that I'm really excited to see, you know, with, with guys like, like Sider and, and dry but then also having some of these younger players like Lucas Reichel is JJ Paterka going to make it, um, you know, is, is, who, who else are they going to have that they can kind of put in there? So I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, what exactly ends up coming of that. All right. This next one comes from Eric. It says, Hey Chris, how was Nolan Patrick viewed heading into the 2017 draft? Why hasn't his game translated to the NHL level? Is it simply the, the injuries, also, you have have you had a made right sandwich? Is it underrated or uninspired? <laughs> like that little Midwest uh, question. I did ask for some quirky Midwest questions. I'll get to the made right in a minute. Yes, I have had one. Um, so Nolan Patrick is a really interesting case, uh, as I'm sure you're aware. Obviously, uh, going number two behind Nico Heischer um, in in the draft, the 2017 draft. Um, a lot of talent in there. You think about guys Elias Pettersson and, and others. But, you know, here's the thing about Nolan Patrick. Going into his draft, you know, there was there was a belief that, you know, this is the guy, a do-it-all center with size, with strength. He's got some physicality. He's got some grip. But then he's got this skill level. And he's got the vision. And he's got the hockey sense. And he was, you know, coming through the Brandon Wheat Kings and, you know, 102 points in his uh, in the the 2015-16 season. So you know this is a young guy who is putting up major points. Then the injury troubles start pretty much right that next season. Played in 33 games in his draft season, 46 points, and then he goes and he plays for the Flyers. In the first two seasons he played in the NHL, he played 73 and 72 games, scored 13 goals in each of those seasons. Fair, not great. Doesn't play at all in 2019-20. Gets into 52 games, but really kind of a shell of himself, uh, you know, in in that. And now he's with Vegas, having been traded for, uh, he first went to Nashville and then was traded straight up for Cody Glass. And, you know, I don't think that this is a situation where Nolan Patrick didn't live up to expectations. Because I think that the injuries and the migraine issues that he's had over the course of his career in the last few years have been significant enough to really diminish his development time, to really diminish his progression as a player. And we may never see what he really could have been. Um, But here's the thing. Nolan Patrick's 23 years old. Now, in prospect years, that seems old. In real-time hockey years, it's not that bad. Um, And... You know, for for me, I I thought that you know Patrick has has been such a you know an interesting player to follow over the years. You know, and I, I should have mentioned too, he was you know late birthday in his draft year, four days after the cutoff is when he was born. So you know he's he's one of the oldest players from his draft class that included Heischer and others, and you know he 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 hasn't taken that step. And again, I don't think it's necessarily his his. Uh, what he hasn't done, I don't think it's on the Philadelphia Flyers because I think they tried to do what was right for him health-wise. And now that he's back with Vegas, where he's reunited with Kelly McCrimmon, who was his coach at Brandon, um, and you know obviously knows him very, very well, um, you know that's a chance for him to get comfortable again. And I really hope he does because I think there's a good player in there. I just don't think we've been able to see it. So you know I don't think that that the draft pundits were necessarily wrong about him um and i should also note that in 2017 i was kind of between hockey jobs so i didn't cover that draft as closely as the others um so that was one but i i just remember you know the the raves about nolan patrick i mean there was a there was a legitimate case that people were making that he could have been the first overall pick and you know if if he he's kind of lucky that he wasn't the first overall pick because then that would even be more highly scrutinized than he already has been at a young age. All right, another one comes from Puck Nerd and uh, Puck Nerd Hockey, and he asked for a uh, a women's top ten um, for the NCAA. And 
I'll have to be straight up honest. The a a women's top ten is um, I, I I haven't watched enough to give it to you. I, obviously, I know how good Wisconsin is. Daryl Watts being one of the top players returning. Still can't believe he she's not in the the Canadian Olympic camp. Um, you know, she's had some harsh words for Hockey Canada since then, and I don't blame her because she's been one of the best women's college hockey players, um, best college hockey players, period. And, and so, you know, for for basically the last four years, and now she's getting this chance to, to go back and, and play at Wisconsin again and, 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 and you know, light, light the whole thing on fire. But the thing that I did want to talk about about women's hockey, and I teased this a little bit earlier, was, you know, right now there, there was a – the NCAA had commissioned a, a report to basically have an independent review of, you know, gender equity issues within competition. And uh, Nicole Haas, who, who did a phenomenal, does a phenomenal job covering women's hockey, um, went through and dug into that report, looked at all the different ways that it affects hockey. And, and one of the key ways, um, you know, there, there just isn't enough money being put into things like the women's frozen four. And, one of the things that has come out of this that that where there's there's an attempt to to narrow the gap between men's and women's hockey and how they're handled. Um, one such proposal is to expand the women's national tournament uh, schedule. As of right now, eight teams get into the tournament. The way that the games are scheduled is often based more on geography and saving money than it is on necessarily providing the best competition, the best tournament experience, um, and. There's a feeling that by expanding the national tournament to 12 teams, it will help minimize the gap between men's and women's hockey, at least at that at, at that particular portion of the season. Um, there are fewer overall women's Division One programs than there are men's, but there's still a, a significant disparity between you know the way those two teams are handled when it comes to awarding a championship. So there's a lot of work being done there. You may have seen on Twitter some, uh, many groups of people have have basically been promoting the idea of expanding the NCAA tournament for women's hockey, which is a really simple. I mean, it's not necessarily simple. It can be an expensive fix, but it is something that can be done that helps narrow that gap just enough and and provide. It's not even like the you know the the women's hockey is not asking. For a 16-team tournament like the men's, they're asking for 12 teams, and you'll you'll see those graphics are, that are circling around. And I saw Harvard's men's team was was showing their support for their women's program um, by by expressing the you know the desire to to have things move to a 12-team national tournament. I think that's going to be a great step forward if they can do that. I think you want to get more women that opportunity to play in the national tournament. It's why you play college hockey. Um, it's one of those things that you know that every player should experience. One of the, one of the things that really made me upset when I read the um, when I read the report and, and Nicole's summary of it on USCHO.com um, it is that you know the women's rosters they can't even bring the you know everybody to the NCAA tournament. They have fewer player slots available to them than even the men's team does. Uh, men's teams do when it comes to um, you know those 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 matters. So I, I just to to not be able to you know if you have a player that's been on your roster all year, they've showed up to practice, they've done everything, they might not get into the games in the national tournament, but being with the team at that time um, is the only the right thing to do. So I think that there are a lot of steps that can be taken to minimize this. The NCAA has to look at this for all sports, but I think that some of the disparities in hockey, which have been well-known and well-documented, are so great right now that it behooves the NCAA to move and make sure that, you know, make some of those simple fixes first. And one of those I do feel is adding, making it a 12-team NCAA tournament. So we'll see where that goes. But Spencer, thank you for the question. I really appreciate it. And yes, I, I I I would love to watch more of of the women's college hockey right now. It's just it is very difficult to uh, to to watch more hockey than I currently do um, critically, at least. And when it, uh, watching it for enjoyment, no problem at all. Watching it for you know ranking teams and things like that, um, you know, it takes a, a lot more time. And unfortunately, I just don't have enough of it. But 
Um, if you are near a women's college hockey team, if you are near a women's professional team, um, you know, if you want to experience hockey at those levels, get out there. Those teams could use your support. You know, you look at places like like Wisconsin and 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 really, you know, women's hockey matters there in a, in a way that um, is really inspiring and special because that is a, a heck of a program. Um, the defending national champions, and boy, I think they're going to be real tough to, to, to knock off this year. All right, I uh, got another one. This one comes from AJ Hayfleet, uh, and AJ and I spoke at the Arizona Rookie Faceoff about Oscar Olawson, and, and Olawson, uh, here's what AJ said. You and I talked about Oscar Olawson's skill set needing a lot of work at the Arizona Rookie Showcase. Seems his shot will make for good box score fodder. But it's everything else that needs a lot of work. What areas of his game stand to benefit most from a season in the OHL? All right, so so Olas, Lawson played in the Swedish Pro League last year. You know, did pretty well for himself. Moved up draft boards. You know, ends up getting picked by the Avalanche, and now he's with the Barry Colts in the OHL. And I think one of the things, especially when you're a European player coming over to North America, there are a couple adjustments that need to be made, and sometimes those adjustments are best made in junior hockey. We saw Adam Boquist do that a couple of years ago, um, you know, whether or not that, you know, he went and played for London. Um, we've seen a few more Swedes take that route. Um, Fabian Lissell is also doing that right now with the Vancouver Giants, a uh, Boston Bruins draft pick. So, you know, these guys are getting these opportunities. So to, to answer AJ's question more specifically, I think for Olafson, it's, it's just finding ways to be creative. He's going to have the time. He's going to have the space. He's going to be able to hold the puck more. Um, just having the puck on his stick more is going to allow him to get the reps of, okay, what is the, what do I do next? What do I, how do I make this play? Um, and I don't think you get as enough touches, you know, if you're a player like him, who's kind of a middle six player in the professional level, if you're going to get the significant enough ice time, um, and also puck touches to be able to develop some of those skills in a game setting, um, so Lawson does have a great shot. He, it's a very heavy, accurate shot. He's been using it very well. He's been a top scorer in the OHL this season. Um, but I think ultimately what you're looking for him to do is to be a driving force offensively. You know, you want him having the puck. You want him to be a guy that can bring pucks into the zone. You want him to be a guy that has defensive responsibility and can break pucks out of the zone. Um, all of those things, if you can do that together – then you're going to have a pretty darn good player on your hands. And and I think that, you know, for, for Olasin, this is going to be his one stint in junior hockey. I think next year we'll see him move to the AHL, and then that'll be a, a really good spot for him to to take the next step. But right now it's all about getting that timing, getting that skill set, cre- providing some creativity. Um, playing against your age peers allows you to do more things, and and I certainly want to see Olasin do that. I think he could also – develop a little bit more of the power of elements in his game. He's He's got a very sturdy frame. He can be a bit more physical if he wants to be. And I think he can protect pucks even better than he does already. All right, this is an NHL-related question, and this comes from Bunting and Kampfstan, uh, because uh, this is a Maple Leafs fan. Uh, how concerned should Leafs Nation be about the lack of scoring recently from players not named Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and William Nylander? Well, not as nervous as I would be if none of those other guys were scoring. Now, you know, I, obviously, I think the 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 Maple Leafs have been built on a on a star, you know, kind of this star tier where you've got these these specific players that are pay, paid a lot of money to you know play a certain way. Um, and so far, I think as of late, aside from the most recent loss that they had. Um, you know, they've been getting major contributions from Tavares, Marner, Nylander, and Matthews. They're their top four scorers right now. Um, but I do think that there is, you know, if Tampa has proven one thing, you know, you, you need, you need star players, but it's harder to win without depth and depth is such a, a tough thing to come by, especially depth that can score. Um, you know, and that is a concern. I would say is is if you don't have it's it's not a it's not as big as if those other guys weren't going, but you know your secondary scoring has to be there, and it's got to be you know guys like Alexander Kerfoot. It's got to be guys like Michael Bunting. Um, you know, I, I think Jason Spezza has been a pleasant surprise this year in what he has been able to provide. But you look down that lineup, and there isn't a ton there that says, oh wow, yeah, these guys are going to score goals left and right. They're going to outscore everybody that they play. They can't do that. 
not they don't you know this is not a team that has all four lines you could you could throw them over the boards and you feel like they're going to score that was what was happening with Tampa you know and if you're following a Tampa model which they're not and it's very difficult to do in the in the in the market that they're in you know there is so much more that needs to be done and 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 accomplished in the depth of that lineup but there's not a lot of cap space to do it so um, I do think that some of those guys will pick up the scoring and some of it, it won't, it won't be as bad as it was like Wayne Simmons only having one goal in 13 games. I think he's better than that. I think he can do more than that. Um, you know, bunting has been trying to hold it down quite, quite well. Uh, Pierre Engvall has had some flashes of brilliance throughout the season, but not anything sustained yet. Um, you know, so it's just a matter of, will any of those guys find a way to make it happen? Um, and it's really on them. It's on the coaching staff to try to get the matchups appropriate, but I think it's really on the players. So if the Maple Leafs want to have uh, an opportunity to, to to go on a run here, I do think that they are going to need to address that depth of the lineup, and it's easier said than done due to the salary cap issues that they face. Well, I think... Oh, nope. I, we, I was just about to say we're done with the questions, but... My good friend Sean Leahy of NBCSports.com had, uh, you know, he he always seems to want to ask the Mighty Ducks questions. I'm a fan of the Mighty Ducks, so of course I'm going to do it. He asked, does Jack Riley have a son or grandson who could replace Gordon Bombay as the head coach of the Don't Bothers? Now, if you don't know what the Don't Bothers are, you have to watch uh, Disney Plus's number one smash hit, uh, Mighty Ducks Game Changers, um, the, uh, the TV show that I mercilessly... Uh, badgered so that I could get a free promotional jersey for the for the film, which I, I I won, by the way. Just remember, kids, you can whine on the internet and sometimes it'll work. Um and and <laughs> and so Emilio Estevez is not going to be on the on the on the show this year. The Don't Bothers is you know the team name. The Ducks are the kind of the bad guys in the in the new show. Um, Gordon Bombay is, is kind of this, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's regressed back into being a bitter guy about hockey. And then a ragtag group of kids inspires him again. But Emilio Estevez is not going to be part of season two, uh, because of the Disney plus, uh, COVID vaccine mandate. So we're going to have a mighty duck show without Gordon Bombay, which I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't think his character was as consequential as that of, say, Lauren Graham or the young man that plays the main player uh, in the show. So, uh, and and of course, um, uh, the 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 Playfair kid that that is the the bad the bad guy coach um, because you know he's he's excellent in in everything I've ever seen him in. So, a big fan of that guy. But anyway. Um, this goes back to, you know, we're getting into Mighty Ducks canon here. And Jack Riley, of course, the head coach of the Hawks, um, I'm sure that he did have a son or a grandson that would, would be able to coach. But, um, you know, I, I just think that the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. If we're going by canon, we assume that the players, you know, Jack Riley's children played for the Hawks. Um, I'm assuming that he has cut his own children a time or t- uh, his own uh, child a time or two. That may have made this one bitter. Um, and, and so I don't think that you could have Jack Riley's offspring or, you know, part of his family tree involved with an inspiring story. Um, but just remember guys, it's not worth winning if you can't win big. Um, I just don't think that philosophy is going to fly in the don't bothers kind of world. I don't think Lauren Graham, uh, the ultimate hockey mom is going to stand for that. I'm sorry that I can't think of her character's name right now and I'm too lazy to look it up on IMDb. But uh, yeah, I mean it's been a, it's it's been a rocky couple of days in Mighty Ducks land. Um, but I'm just staring at the jersey that I got for free, personalized, and it's it's on display now, and it's, I mean it's just glorious. So uh, Gordon Bombay, get it together. Uh, science isn't a bad thing; it's all good, buddy. And I just also realized I got to close it on a food thing because I totally forgot to come back to Eric's um, made right question. So Eric asked me. Um, if I've had a made right sandwich and it, is it underrated or uninspired? Um, so made rights are loose meat sandwiches. Uh, it's basically just like kind of like a sloppy Joe, but it's not usually with the sauce. It's kind of just the loose ground beef. And then, uh, you know, you choose your toppings and I'll tell you what, you, you get a little mustard on that bad boy, a little pickle, a little onion. 
uh, you're cooking with gas right there, my friend. Um, aside from that, you know, I, it's not something that I'm going to go out of my way to get. It's a nice little Midwestern delicacy. Um, if you're driving through the state of Iowa and you see a big, like, kind of uh, uh, red sign that says Made Right, give it a shot. Why not? And, and if Made Right wants to sponsor this podcast, um, by all means, and, and also send free Made Rights, uh, but only with mustard, onion, and a little bit of pickle. So uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Yeah, we're ending it on Made Rights. So uh, come back next week. We'll, we should be recording next week. It's been a crazy week here at my house as well, but I uh, just want to make sure that we... we uh, we have another show for you next week and that I'll probably have a guest. I'm working on somebody uh, that uh, had to reschedule before, uh, but I want to try and get back to it again and uh, really excited to have more of that. Make sure, if you don't already, to subscribe to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. There will be some schedule, some kind of scheduling and format changes that I'm going to be revealing a little bit later in terms of uh, what the site's going to look like going forward. As you know, you, you know, I'm right now with dailyfaceoff.com as well. So that's taken up some of my time and, and will take up uh, you know some of the content that I'm doing. Go over to dailyfaceoff.com. You'll be able to read. Um, I have a piece up about you know the the Golden Knights in the aftermath of the Jack Eichel trade, what's left in their their cupboard after you know trading away uh, yet another first round draft pick that they made there have been four first round draft picks that they've traded away so far um also uh you can read about my my story about cole caulfield and coming up this week on dailyfaceoff.com there will be a story called 32 prospects which i did at, at hockey sense which has moved over to daily faceoff where i'm taking a look at you know, a one prospect from every single NHL team that is off to a hot start this season. So it's a great way to look at around the league and, and see what's going on in other uh, with your favorite team and some of the other prospects that you may be familiar with from recent drafts. So uh, really excited to bring that one to you. And you can also catch me on the Daily Faceoff show um, once a week. And that is a streaming show, which you can find on Twitter. If you follow at DFO Hockey, um, you will be able to find that link pretty easily i'll be on wednesday off and on in the second half of the week um, talking about prospects and anything else that comes to mind so that's a long way to say goodbye you probably already turned this off if you didn't the code word is spicy so uh you can tweet that at me and win absolutely nothing but if you manage to sit through all of this rambling and babbling um, I'll at least give you like a, a celebratory GIF or something. Yes, and I am a hard G pronouncer on GIF. Uh, you got you GIF people are just messing me up. Anyway, that's as good a place as any to end it as I've tried to end it four different times. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. So glad that you were able to join me for this week's episode. We'll see you next time, same place. Download, subscribe, like, and see you.